I think if we had started and been that 225 that I wanted at the first event, I don't think it would have happened because the reason this really, the seat formed is because there were only 100 people there. And then doing it year in, year out, you build those long-term deep ties. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it. Different is better than better. That's what Sally Hogshead says. Sally is a brand expert and the creator of the Fascination Advantage Assessment, which helps entrepreneurs and leaders discover what's naturally fascinating about themselves. Now, what she means is that better is fleeting. Better's not inspired. Better, she says, keeps you chained to the same way of working as your competition. Being different, on the other hand, helps you stand out. Being different helps you gather the right people around you because they immediately see what you're all about. Different helps you win on your own terms. So how do we arrive at different? How do we build our brands, our ideas, our businesses to be different? Different is a result of operationalizing our values. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show on a mission to transcend the hype about building a business by talking to real business owners about the unique things they do to make it all work. This month, we're working our way through a series of conversations about leadership. Specifically, I've been talking to small business owners about how they lead with their values and how those values pop up in their businesses, in their systems, policies, and operating procedures. And today, my guest is Rob Walling, and Rob is committed to doing things differently. Rob is best known for his leadership in the world of bootstrapped software as a service businesses. He's the founder of Drip, Microconf, and most recently, Tiny Seed. He's also the host of Startups for the Rest of Us and the author of Start Small, Stay Small. Rob has chosen from the beginning to do things differently. And the reason? is his values. His values led him to realize that he could build a business without playing by everyone else's rules. And that's made him a leader for thousands of others who are looking to do things differently too. I talk with Rob about the through line that weaves his different ventures together, the values that define his work, how his community and events are reaction to the standard in his field, and how he views his role as a leader. Plus, I ask him how he's ensuring his values continue to play out as his community rapidly expands. Now, let's find out what works for Rob Walling. Rob Walling, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. All right. So we are talking about leadership and values this month. And I know that these are subjects that are important to you. And uh, you also have a lot of experience in in using those um, characteristics, those, those skills in multiple different businesses. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've got a number of different projects and ventures going on at any given time. So what are some of the personal or business values that really tie your work together over the years? You know, it's it's an interesting question. It's one I've never been asked in an interview. I do a lot of podcasting um, and and a lot of talking with folks. And so, uh, but but what's also interesting is I think they've come about organically. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, which I think has been has been a good thing. I've never, I mean, to clarify, I've never run a large organization, right? I, I grew one startup to ten employees, and then we got acquired, and then I had a team of about let's say twenty by the time I left um, under me. So. But but at the same time, I definitely feel my fingerprint on the things that I work on, you know, and and that happens pretty intentionally. Um, so back to your question, you know, what what values do I kind of like to imbue on things? I think I've I've always had this um, 
a real affinity towards fairness, you know, and, and basically it's like treating the customer like I would want to be treated, which I think everyone could say that, but we lived it out a lot in, uh, you know, I ran a, a SaaS app where customer would get billed and email and say, Hey, can I get a refund for this? And in general, it was like, yeah, I would want a refund if I, if it was a day after and I accidentally, you know, got billed or whatever, and I had forgotten about it or whatever. So we, we were pretty generous on, on that side of things. Um, you can take it too far, obviously, but, uh, I think fairness was a big thing. And I think uh, like authenticity, I've always, whenever I, I speak or get on the mic or get in front of people, I, I don't, try to be the grandiose, like, Hey, this is my personality online. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm, if you got in a conversation with me at happy hour, I'm the same as like, I'm going to be in this interview, you know, and the same that I'm going to be on stage in front of 500 people or on camera. And that I think is important to me when I've, when I meet folks in person who I've seen online and they're really different, it gives me this uneasy feeling of what, what is it with, are, are you faking it? Are you an actor online? You know, I, I thought you were a certain way and you're not. And that's always, that's, you know, part of my personality to just really want to be and act who you are. Yeah. I love those two values. And I think they're not what we necessarily think of from startup culture. And I, I realize that mm. you come from maybe a diff very different area of startup culture uh, than folks are used to. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but I, I love those two. Fairness is one that, you know, I've heard authenticity before. Um, fairness is one that I don't think I've really heard characterized that way. And I really, I really like it. Um, I think something else that I've noticed just from sort of taking a look at your work and um, some of the things that tie the projects that I see you working on uh, seems to be transparency as well. Can you talk about how transparency kind of plays out in the things that you're working on? Yeah, that's that's a good observation, actually. Um, and one that I don't, you know, there are there are startups and people who are much more transparent than me. So I don't consider myself that transparent. But mm -hmm. when you think about it, if you look back, you know, I've I've I blogged for about 10 years. I don't so much anymore. And that was about my experience, you know, day to day of trying to grow startups as a, as a bootstrapper. And then, uh, you know, I'm almost 500 episodes into a weekly podcast where all I'm talking about is, is what I'm doing. At the same time, I think there's a balance. Like I have seen people who get too transparent, mm -hmm. open themselves up to a lot of things, you know, to, to competitors. Um, when, when you, every revenue number is, is public all the time, there, there is a danger to that. So I've often done just in time transparency. I'll say like when I do a conference talk, I'll say, Hey, here's what it's looked like for the past year in terms of revenue. So you know where we are. So you have level set, but then I will try not to have that video go live on the internet for six months such that, mm. it, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like people, it's not out broadcast to the world and I don't constantly update that, you know? So I've tried to strike a balance of, again, it's, it's being authentic and covering both the good and the bad. I, I think another thing with transparency is I'll often see it Hey, we're this transparent company, but it's all good stuff. There's never anything bad, and it's like, well, how is that real? Then are you actually transparent? Or are you are you be marketing? You know, is is it just marketing at a certain point? So that's always kind of kind of bothered me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I want to talk about uh, microconf and how that came about, why that came about, um, and some of the things that make it really different because it seems like a really good way to kind of provide 
almost a case study of what we're talking about uh, this month. So, you know, there's lots of different events and resources and all sorts of different kinds of information that people can access about starting a business with venture capital. And I think when people think software often, or, or really lots of different kinds of digital products, they're thinking about venture capital, they're thinking about Silicon Valley. And there's a lot less info on bootstrapping or self-funding, even if that's how the vast majority of things are getting started started today. Um, you saw that, I think, as an opportunity, and MicroConf kind of grew into that opportunity and has been a real leader in that area. What made you decide to step up and create MicroConf as an experience for self-funded founders? Yeah. You know, we viewed it less as an opportunity and more as a need that we had ourselves. Mm. It, it does come back to the journey that that I traveled as uh, bootstrapper and there was just no one talking about it and it felt very lonely you know and it was like who else is thinking about this stuff this is back 2005 to 2010 figure so it's, it's a while you know you say there aren't that many resources today there was a one 100 of it 15 years ago you yeah know? and i knew literally two people who were trying to like bootstrap and, and not ask for permission and not ask for funding. And so few people build businesses, right? Everyone wants to build a slide deck and ask for permission and ask for money. And it's like, yes. there, there's a real, as you said, most businesses get off the ground without without the venture capital. And I, and I think that's a message that I've come to, it's kind of, I've come to really embrace. So the reason we started the conference though, was because I kind of wanted to meet people face to face. Like we started building an audience. Uh, I keep saying we. It, it was a, a guy who I started my podcast with, um, Mike Tabor, and and we co-hosted co it for the first 450 episodes. And you know, we got I don't even remember 50 episodes in or something, and realized, hey, there's an audience here, and there are people, you know, writing in, and there are people saying, hey, we're out here. And we really wanted to meet up and and see what it would be like. And so it was super low budget. I mean, the entire event, the first budget was, I think it was less than $20,000. We got almost 100 people in. A, yeah, it was nuts. I mean, oh when I told, Lord. it was really, really cheap. And we almost lost a bunch of money on it. You know, events are very hard when, you, when you're getting them started. So yeah, we got about it. I had originally thought we are going to get 225 people in a room. And, you know, we sold like 60 tickets. And I was like, uh-oh, this is a problem. So we wound up selling about 75 tickets and we gave away and comp, you know, comp some others. Um, but it was a good, a good first event in 2011. And, uh, and then we've done it 19 times since then. So the subsequent years have absolutely been much, much simpler. Yeah. Can you describe that first event for us? What was the experience like? Oh boy. You know, it was, <clears throat> to be honest, it was one of those times where the experience was magical in spite of itself because mm. it was at a cheap, old, rundown, smoke-filled hotel in Las Vegas. It was drab. The room was too big. It was too hot. The audio, you know, we had no videographer, just everything you can imagine, you know, ambience-wise, like, I would cringe because now we run it extremely professional, you know, and I have a conference producer who just has it dialed in and everything's to the dialed to the T's. But man, back then it was, it was, it was pretty ugly and, and awful. However, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Like we still, people still rant about people who were at that 2011 event still rant about it, um, about how great it was. And I still feel that way too. The first time you're in a room with a hundred other people who just understand what you do. And when you tell them what you do, they don't look at you funny. Yeah. That is, is a magical experience. And so it was, yeah, that showed us it was way more work than we thought. And 
right when we were finishing it, I said, we're never doing this again, like hundreds of hours. And I said, we're not doing this again. And people were like, you have to do this again. And that was a big part of like, okay, how can we make this sustainable such that, uh, you know, it doesn't kind of derail our whole year like it did that year. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the decision-making process of actually deciding to do it again, because having run a, a conference in much the same way, kind of ugly, sold about half the tickets I had planned to sell. I have not you know, I've not changed my mind on that decision yet. It's going to happen, but I haven't changed it yet. How how did that conversation happen? How did that decision happen that you actually said, okay, no, there's something here. We're we're gonna try this again. It it really was. I said, I'm not doing this again. And my co-founder was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. He was kind of on the fence. And then we just kept, we started getting asked. People would write in, people would email, people would call in the show and they would say, Hey, well, are you doing another microconf? And it was some, sometimes it was people who'd been there and other times it was people who kind of had FOMO because they didn't go to the first one. Mm -hmm. And so then it became this, became this thing where we said, you know, if we don't do this, someone else will. And I would kind of prefer that we do it the way we want to do it, you know? And so that, that's what it was. And we did the first two or three on our own before we hired the producer. And frankly, okay. the producer really changed the game for us. Um, yeah. He he just takes care of so much now that it's it made, it made it sustainable is what it did. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about how um, some of your important personal and business values actually play themselves out inside of the experience of microcomp. So you've mentioned fairness, you've mentioned authenticity. How do those values actually play out in how you design the experience of microconf today? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the fairness comes in to just treat, we just try to treat people the way I would want to be treated. So we have a, I think a fairly generous refund policy as you know, to use the same example again. Mm -hmm. um, but also trying to provide people with, you know, like the value that they get from buying the ticket. I mean, I think there's, you know, you can make a lot of money in events if you build up a brand and you charge a lot of money and then you kind of run a cheap conference, you know, mm -hmm. and eventually that burns out your brand. But like people do that and we just, we just don't, you know, we try to provide an experience that really wows people. And I think that's a fair exchange of value. Um, and then the authenticity is more, it's that thing of, it's not a big show. I mean, we produce it well, but we don't play I have the tiger and have me running out fist pumping, you know, and being like, woo, woo. Yeah, we're doing my pump up. You know, none of that. Right. It's <laughs> it's I come out and I tell some nerd jokes and I talk about, you know, the state of of SAS. And then we I don't know, I mentioned Star Wars a few times in my talk, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Like it's like, yeah, that, that's who I am. And that's what I do. And, you know, it, it's not a shtick. And we try to also get speakers that um, are all, you know, are also in that vein that, that are themselves that are successful, motivated, ambitious people who can inspire you and share amazing like strategies and tactics. But also there are certain speaker types that would like motivational speakers, as an example, that would not be a fit for microconf. People would say, well, what is this person doing? It would be very off brand, if that makes sense, because they're not authentic, you know, and we've really focused over the years. Uh, I mean, a big part of the microconf experience is it's like strategies and tactics is like 80% and then kind of inspiration is 20% mm. of what, what goes on stage. And um, really the underpinnings of microconf is the community, to be honest. People come for the strategies and tactics and they stay for the relationships. That's the bottom line. And that's probably about, that would be a third value of mine um, is the relationships between people. And even though I'm pretty introverted, 
I've built community after community after community. Um, so I'm starting to realize, well, maybe, maybe I'm not so bad at that. You know, I would never consider myself someone who does that, but if you look at the track record, that's really what, that's really what the podcast audience, the blog audience I have. And frankly, the microconf community is, is, you know, just very strong worldwide. Yeah. So many of the community builders I talk to are very hardcore introverts. I mean, I consider myself a very hardcore introvert as well. And, um, I, I think there might be something to the way we observe people, the way we are intentional about how connections get made that give us a, a natural uh, capability for that. You'll hear about what makes the microconf community different in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by FedEx. You've dreamed it and you've built it. And now FedEx would love the opportunity to help shine a light on your business. So what would you do with $50,000 to grow your business? The 2020 FedEx Small Business Grant Contest is here with 12 prizes available this year. Entries will be accepted January 28th through March 2nd. Submit a short profile of your business, photos that capture the spirit of your business, a one-minute video about what makes your business special, and then spread the word so your fans can help support your entry. The grand prize is $50,000 plus $7,500 in FedEx office print and business services. The silver prize winner will receive $30,000 plus $5,000 in FedEx office services. And 10 bronze prize winners will receive $15,000 plus $1,000 in FedEx office services. All winners will receive priceless business building consultation and learning opportunities. Learn more about the 2020 FedEx Small Business Grant Contest at fedex.com slash grant contest. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, the last decade was all about huge, open online platforms with loose relationships and even looser ethics. This new decade is starting out with a step in the opposite direction. Today, more than ever, people are craving a way to create deep, meaningful connections online. They want to find communities that mean something to them, and they want to work with like-minded people to learn and grow. This is your opportunity. You can be the person to bring them together. Mighty Networks makes it possible. Mighty Networks is everything you need to create a safe, private space for the people you care about. Whether you're building a movement, training a growing group, advocating for a cause you care about, or all of the above, Mighty Networks brings you the infrastructure to do it. It's your community hub, your online course platform, and a membership powerhouse all in one. We use Mighty Networks to create a dedicated private space for small business owners to trade notes on what's working and get support on what's not. Who will you bring together with your Mighty Network? To start your Mighty Network free of charge, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. But I'd love to talk more about the MicroConf community because I found out about MicroConf through uh, Marie Poulin. And Marie just, I mean, she came home from the first microconf she attended and could not stop talking about how incredible the experience was and how incredible the people were. And it was clear that it was something very, very unique. So what do you, as sort of the gatherer of this community, what do you see as different about the people who come together and who come to this event? Um, yeah. What's different about them? It's a good question. There's a lot of 
I would say there's a lot of positivity and willing to share and help. The relationships are very strong and there's a bunch of reasons for that, right? It's It was built around this podcast that is just, it was kind of too people, two entrepreneurs talking about things and again, trying to be authentic and not be grandiose and not be a big show, but really just share our journey. And the people who were attracted to that tend to be similar. You know, they tend to want to help others. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also, I think the fact that we started small and built it up slowly over years, we have these really deep connections and deep ties. So when you go there, you do feel this sense of like, wow, people know each people have been coming for years. I mean, we have people who've come to 15, 16 of the 19 microconfs, you know, there's a handful of folks. And then a lot of people who, I mean, you know, I would say hundreds who've been to four five, six of them. And that builds deep relationships and people take them outside of the event itself, right? And they start masterminds or they start, you know, accountability groups, Slack groups, that kind of stuff. And I think if we had started and been that 225 that I wanted at the first event, I don't think it would have happened because the reason this really, the seed formed is because there were only a hundred people there and then doing it year in, year out, you build those long-term deep ties. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it, you know, and, and we've been, we've been lucky, but we've also been pretty calculating and deliberate about keeping that, that healthy, positive environment. I think it, it shows based on who shows up. I think it shows based on who's on stage and what's talked about, what topics we choose, you know? Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into it. It it started off accidental and it became deliberate pretty quickly that we wanted this to feel very different. It also helps that we're in a pretty, we're in a small niche, you know? So it's not a massive, and we've never had the aspiration. I bet we could have grown the event to 500 or a thousand people or more, frankly, but that would just be such a different, yeah, it'd be like a festival, you know, it'd be like a, a Saster or a, or a um, South by Southwest or something, you know, obviously not that big, but you start to lose some of the, the intimacy of the event. And I think that's been another thing is we keep it intentionally small. Yeah. Well, that makes me wonder, you know, like you said, you could have chosen to grow it to a certain size, but you chose not to. And I, that reminds me of like, even just the, the, the decision to choose to take funding or not take funding for your business or pursue funding or not uh, pursue funding. Are there any other decisions that like, okay, this is an opportunity. I could do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to pass. I'm going to decide not to do this that kind of stick out to you. Relating to microconf or just in terms of my entire experience? Um, relating to microconf oh, specifically, yeah. but if there's if there's something from uh, elsewhere that really sticks out to you, I'd love to hear that too. Yeah, I mean, there are several with microconf and it, it all comes out like, I so I wrote a book in 2010 called Start Small, Stay Small, A Developer's Guide to Launching a Startup. And the reason I wrote the book is I read all the books about starting startups and I was so frustrated that no one was talking about what I wanted to hear, which was super tactical advice. And how does one person do this? You don't need to raise venture capital. You don't need to do this thing. So it was almost like this. Um, it was a reaction like, I'm angry that this doesn't exist and I'm going to go do it. Microconf was that. Microconf was, I want a small conference that's intimate, that has strategies and tactics. I we don't want a trade show floor, you know, where a bunch of vendors, I don't, I hate multi-track conferences, hates a strong word, but I dislike multi-track <laughs> conferences um, where the, you know, one of the rooms is always, oh, I want to see that person. And it's, it's filled because they don't have the capacity. Um, I don't like huge events, maybe partially because of introvert, introversion, but partially because, um, you know, you can't get the intimacy. So there's all these things that, that we've deliberately made the decision not to do. And so microconf, didn't sell out the first year, 
It sold out the second year in two weeks, the third year in 24 hours, the fourth year in six minutes. And people were saying, you have to make this bigger, right? We'd already expanded it to about 250, 275, which is what it is today. And when we sold out in like five or six minutes, people were like, what? You have to let more people in. You have to do a 450, 500 person event. And we didn't. And that I think that was the right choice, you know? Yeah. And and we eventually then expanded and had, did multiple events. That's when we were doing it once a year. But so the, all of those things were choices that we made um, to try to make a different event. And in retrospect, when I say them, they sound pretty obvious, but they were not at the time. You know, it was, what do we not like about other events? And if we change those, does it make a better event or not? I don't know. Let's try it. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm curious how you view your role as a leader of this community. Yeah, that's something, it's a really good question. And honestly, it's something that I never thought about until a couple years ago where people started really telling me, no, you are, you are one of the leaders of this community and you should be deliberate about it because I'd always been, again, it's just who I am and it's just how I think about things and it's just how I talk about things, right? That's literally what the podcast is. And MicroConf was made kind of in our image and we made the decisions. We, we built a podcast that I wanted to listen to. I wrote a book that I wanted to read. We built an event that I wanted to attend. That's literally what it is. What is our taste? And it just so happens that there are, you know, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people who share those tastes. So um, up until a couple of years ago, it was always just, well, we just do what's, you know, what's in our taste. I think recently I have realized that um, my role is, well, A, is to connect people, is really the bottom line. My role is to build and, and nurture this community in a positive way that allows people to connect with one another. I used to, th you know, the very first year when it was only 100 of us, I was like, I have to connect with everyone. That's mm -hmm. my role, right? Is to is to make sure everyone's having a good time. And within a couple of years, I realized, nope, I'm not going to be able to do that. It doesn't scale, and it's not even realistic. You know, I'm not everyone's. Everyone doesn't have the the taste to to be like, yeah, I really want to connect with Rob, but they might have someone. The taste was a weird word. Everyone doesn't have the desire to connect with Rob. But when you go to MicroConf, you don't have to. You can connect with 10 other people you'll probably like better and get more value out of than connecting with me. And But that's a, a joke, but that's a realization, right? It's yeah. like, I don't have to be friends with everyone and they don't have to be with me. It's it's connecting them with one another. And that's that was a good realization for me of we are now just building a, a place. We're building a place where people can come to get you know the strategies, the tactics, the inspiration, and the relationships. Uh, with one another. And how can we build that? And we've expanded dramatically in 2020, right? We used to do three events and we're going to do like seven or eight in person, plus a bunch of online, plus we're opening our videos to be, you know, all, all the talk videos to be free. And that was, a lot of that was due to this realization that how can we reach more people and get them to connect with one another? Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about the expansion for 2020. And I think this is actually probably a good way to do it because I think that you know, this this realization that you don't have to personally be the one connecting everyone to fulfill your role as the leader means that in expanding, in starting to scale up a little bit, you are you're in a position where you need to empower other people to do that. You need to create the containers for people to be able to do that. How are you um, creating the systems or the communication that's needed to make sure that the people who are helping you connect this community together, help, helping you connect individuals, actually have the, the tools to be able to do that. 
Yeah, we're giving that a lot of thought right now. Like one thing we're doing is um, we are, we, we've typically done a Slack group during the event for real-time communication that opens 30 days before and shuts down 30 days after, right? It's mm. purely an event-based thing. And every year or every event, we open it and then shut it down. In about well, maybe a month, next the next month, we're going to open a permanent microconf Slack community that is mm. available year round, and that's that's just one thing we're dipping into. Um, we are also uh, looking into tools, like we're doing an online event, our first online summit, in essence, or online conference, and it's called Microconf Remote. And we're looking into ways of how do we extend our hallway track, which is this term we we came up with to describe like. Well, what you do in the hallway, right? It's like we're not mm -hmm. a multi-track conference, but the early on someone said, "Hey, you know, the speakers are just an excuse for all of us to get together. The real yes. value comes from being in the hallway, you know." And so this hallway track term has has really developed. So we're looking at how to how can we replicate the hallway track in a digital, you know, an online event, right? So it's being very deliberate uh, about connecting people. Um, I think the the number of introductions that I make, which is not infinitely scalable, but I do a lot of introductions just via email and such. Um, at the event itself, uh, we are deliberate about not filling up every inch with talks and we have a lot of, um, facilitated, well, we have some, we have some round table stuff where we have people meet each other, but then we also have these evening receptions for people to mingle. So it just kind of pervades aside from the education piece, you know, when people are actually speaking on stage, like every other moment is about connecting with one another. And we say that from the stage the whole time, right? In the opening 10 minute intro, I talk about what microconf is, a lot of what we've talked about today, but it's condensed. And I talk about the power of the relationships, you know, and how probably this, if this is your first year, you think most of the value is going to come from the stage, but you're going to, by the end of it, you're going to realize most of the value comes from everyone around you. So that's, that's just something I'm saying constantly. And I think it helps reinforce it with new people. And then the culture of the event is already such that you just kind of get that feeling. Gotcha. There's momentum behind the, yeah. the culture. I love that. Um, you mentioned that you hired a producer uh, a little while back, um, or you hired the producer a while back, but earlier in the interview, you mentioned that you hired an event producer. And I assume that means that there are people coming in to help run the event who aren't necessarily part of the microconf culture and part of the community. Is there anything that you're doing with that team to make them feel a part of that culture or to give them the scoop on what the vision behind the event actually is? Yeah. So surprisingly, we we run all these events and we have one producer that is our staff. It's oh, me. My word. And one, but yeah, it is. We need to get more people, but we just haven't. <laughs> and uh, frankly, there's a bunch of reasons for that. But so I haven't had to scale it. You know, it's not like we have 10 people working on the event. Um but the way that we that we did it, I mean, the way that we onboarded Xander, who's the, you know, was the coordinator, and then I forget what his next title was, and now, you know, he's the event producer for, for MicroConf. Um, the way we did it was, well, we did it the, the old-fashioned way of having him listen to the podcast, having him attend an event, you know, and, and then answering the questions along the way of what do we do here, what do we do there. The way I would do it today, though, is I, I did put together this it's kind of a, it's like a branding doc. I, I, you know, I'm not an MBA. Like I was a construction worker that became a software developer that started things. So I started software companies. So I don't love all the SWOT analysis and their MBA stuff. It just feels really academic to me. However, I do believe in branding. I believe in positioning. I believe you need to know where you are. And so I wrote, I read a bunch of books on branding and I wrote this big branding doc and it has a bunch of words that, that, 
are part of the microconf brand, you know, things like um, relationships and strategies and tactics and um, belonging. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. And so that doc now, and it does have our mission, vision, values, you know, the, the mission of uniting and building community among, uh, you know, independent non-venture track startup founders around the world, right? So that is now what I do today. If we brought someone new on, I'd say, hey, let's say, hey, let's have a conversation. B, listen to some episodes of the podcast just to get the feel. But C, look at this notion doc and and try to absorb it, you know, and, and this really is, this will communicate what we're about. Um, and frankly, having that notion doc has helped us with with our marketing now we pull a lot of verbiage out of that which i didn't expect i thought it would be more of an internal thing but now we're we're updating stuff on the um you know on the website to more mm. properly communicate that so it's all um i do think that's important and it's something we didn't do until like last year you know we've done 19 events over almost 10 years and and this was the first time we got really deliberate about it and probably should have done it a few years ago to be honest <laughs> got it um as we start to wrap up here i'd love to find out how your experience leading a conference in a community has been different or similar to leading a startup. And I, I know that the companies that you've built haven't had massive amounts of employees behind them, but I think there's still a sense of leadership there. So can you compare and contrast those two things? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never, I've never thought about that. I think there's something about creating a culture and imbuing values that is very similar, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're right, the community, you know, a 10 person software company versus a 10,000 person community or 20,000 person community, however big it is, there are probably more similarities than differences, which is shocking, right? Because there's a couple zeros after the, <laughs> after the number of people. But I do think that having some values, whether you're aware of them or not, like I know that the values of the companies that I've started have just kind of been my own. You know, it's, it's, again, I like to treat people fairly. I like to be pretty authentic, relatively transparent. I like to, you know, bring people together. I enjoy friendships. You know, there's certain things that, that those are the cultures of microconf and of the software companies I started. So, um, I think that, that, uh, the comparison is they're similar. I'm trying to think of the contrast, I guess scale would be the big one mm -hmm. and that you're more public facing and there, instead of having two way relationships, you have a lot of one one way relationships, right? With a with a community of tens of thousands of people, um, yeah. But I think I do think that having them written down. This is something you know five years ago I probably wouldn't <laughs> would have balked at. But I've realized the value of knowing what you're about and and getting that somewhere into a doc that's not just in your head, and then acting. It's not even communicating. I mean, you know, they say you know they say people will say, hey, you gotta write these values down and then have them written all over the whiteboards and, you know, on posters and all that stuff. And it's like, I don't know, I never did that. But, and yet we did have mission, vision values and they knew it because we just acted that way. You right. Know? Yeah, totally. Rob, what are you excited about right now? I am, I'm excited about two things. Um, one is I run an accelerator called Tiny Seed and we're, we're making offers on our second batch right now. Cool. And uh, really stoked at the companies that we're going to be, you know, opening up and wrapping up the first batch is fun too. Second thing is the microconf expansion is I'm just all in on that. You know, I'm really, really excited. I, I didn't realize, again, I never thought of myself as someone who built community, but I'm so excited to do it. I'm wondering why I didn't realize this sooner. Yeah. Rob Walling, thank you so much for sharing your sense of leadership and how you have uh, really created a whole ecosystem around the values that are important to you and about the things that you really wanted to see in this world. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show.
If you're struggling with how to turn your values into action systems and operating procedures, Rob's story might help. Look for how you do things differently or want to do things differently than the norm in your field. Those differences point to values that can inspire further action. Have you made those differences policy? Are they built into the systems or operating procedures you use? Do you use those differences to guide your planning? The more explicit you make your differences, the more explicit you make your values, and the stronger a leader you become. Find out more about Rob Walling at robwalling.com. Plus, check out MicroConf at microconf.com and find Rob's podcast, Startups for the Rest of Us, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, you'll hear from Melissa Urban and Carrie Coley-Murchison about how the Whole30 community is putting its values for diversity and inclusion into action. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Production assistance is by Kristen Runfing. Find over 260 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our weekly curated newsletter on building a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com.